The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of New York Presbyterian Hospital or Columbia University Irving Medical Center. You're listening to Taking It to Heart with the Columbia Valve Team, a podcast where we discuss the advancements in treatments for patients with structural heart and valve disease. I'm your host, Dr. Isaac George. We're here for our next edition of Taking It to Heart with the Columbia Valve Team. We have our esteemed team. We have Sashil Kadali. Uh, Rebecca Hahn and Torsten Vall, and myself, Isaac George. So again, a mix of surgery, cardiology, and interventional echocardiography. And so today we're going to talk about something where we've already started arguing, so we, this should be a good topic. Um, and this is the value of uh, doing procedures awake versus asleep, specifically looking at imaging and um, the value of TE versus transthoracic echo imaging. Um, specifically in TAVR. Um, Obviously, the world has changed, and we have uh, now a worldwide movement to do cases in a a straightforward fashion where patients stay awake. We do transthoracic echoes. We have data that suggests that patients get out of the hospital uh, in a faster amount of time with equivalent outcomes. And with potentially lower cost. I mean, that's one one big push for the minimalist has been not, you know, it's, it's People have argued it's, it's safe, but one of the big drivers, uh, when the margins for TAVR in many centers are so low, it can cost. All these other things that we're doing to uh, reduce uh, complication rates, no, no foleys, no s- central lines, all of those things are the things that are extubating on the table. Those are the things that are driving the length of stay, and the SCS database clearly showed that in their last manuscript, that the, that the length of stay benefit of conscious sedation was modest at best. Yeah, I think, sorry. So let's, let's actually outline this. Let's go point by point and figure out what is the benefit of staying um, asleep versus awake? You know, we'll talk about procedural, we'll talk about anesthesia, we'll talk about outcomes. I mean, when, when, we, say, when we say someone needs to be asleep for a procedure, we're basing that on what, Torsten? We're talking about anatomy, the procedure, both? Gener- generally speaking, anatomy. I mean, obviously, sometimes... Are, are we just trying to have... Uh, avoid Becky putting the probe in so she doesn't <laughs> say too much during the case. <laughs> no, but uh, I think for the most part, uh, I for the most part, I still think at this point we we are using it for patients that have high risk high risk anatomy. Rarely is it needed that uh, uh, the patient is un- uncooperative. That there could be such a patient factor that in a single patient like that happens to us three times a year also for a regular cardiac cath that that we actually require anesthesia because the patient has some anxiety disorder but most of the time we obviously are intubating these patients and not doing TE uh, to improve safety because of some adverse anatomies and um, I think I mean these valves are, are being put in to last for many years so so we are really trying to get a uh, good outcome and, and a safe outcome. And let me make this point once briefly. I, I think the, the argument that is always used that you get the patient out of the hospital faster because they have, been, they have not been intubated and they did not have 
uh, TEE, I think, is a bogus argument. All of our left atrial appendage patients get extubated on, on the table and leave the hospital the na next morning. The same is true with all of our outpatient mitroclip patients. So I don't see why, why that argument would be different for TAVR patients than uh, for the, the other patient groups I just discussed. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back. Sashil, I mean, if we, or, and Becky, um, you know, if we're looking at complications and trying to prevent complications, are we doing that by having a TEE in place or actually diagnosing them earlier? Aren't we, aren't we able to really predict what we're going to do in a procedure based on a very good CT scan, whether it's coronary protection, whether it's risk of rupture, whether it's risk of a, an event with uh, the procedure from a valve standpoint? I, I, yeah, I'm sort of going to push back a little bit as well. I mean, I think <laughs> five years ago, I think TE definitely added safety in many clinical scenarios, right? where we had a small annulus, heavy calcification, heavy LVOT calcium. We said that patient was always done, done asleep, even two years ago, maybe. But I think with, with good quality CTs, we understand, and we understand how we have to modify deployment. We may change our valve choice, uh, and we, our aggressiveness of deployment, may, may, we have to adjust when, when patient is high risk. And I think we can do that safely uh, awake as asleep with TE. The, the things that really, uh, and it's all risk-benefit, right? And as, as Torsten said, we want to optimize the result. And the same is true as interventionalist for coronaries, right? We know IVIS optimizes outcomes, right? There's a ton of data, intravascular ultrasound with PCI optimizes outcomes. Yet, in many centers, IVIS is not used, right? But why? And, and so it's getting into the mentality of, because the... Because the, it adds time. It adds time. Now, the, the, the downside in a coronary is less than in a valve. It's if, if it restenosis or something, come back, it's not as You, as you get a cabbage. Oh, stop. It's, <laughs> you can re-intervene and everything else. So, uh, but whereas the downside with a valve failure or something is, is catastrophic, so we can't have that same level. You get surgery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you need to optimize the outcome, but, and you need to do, do it safely. So I think it depends on patient experience and, and, and center, not patient experience, I'm sorry, center experience, right? If a center is doing 400 cases a year and, and they understand the, how the procedure is done and the outcomes, they can do a, I could argue you can do a procedure safely, but centers with minimal experience that don't, don't do a lot of it, I think TE adds safety. Uh, and I know I'm talking a lot, but, but I, I have to get on my soapbox for a couple, one, more, one more point, Becky. Um, before I let you get in there. I like you arguing. She's pushing me. She's pushing me uh, away. Yeah. But, I'm, and I also agree that the resource utilization is not different between awake, I mean, the uh, length of stay is not different, but you can also argue that the resource uh, uh, utilization is different, right? Because in many centers, if you don't need TEE, some centers are doing these cases with, with you know, Versed and fentanyl. So resource utilization is different. And that factors into costs. It's not just length of stay. It's resource utilization. And, and it's, di it's different in Europe uh, than it is in the U.S. in some centers. And there's variability. So I, can't, I don't think we can argue that cost isn't different because length of stay is not different. There is still different resource utilization. But as far as personnel, there's not going to be, at least in our center, uh, there's not a huge difference in the personnel in the room. So Correct. that there are sites that are doing conscious sedation without anesthesiology in the room. And that's not something that we do. Right. We do monitored anesthetic care, and we have an anesthesiologist in the room. So if there's a conversion, and, and the conversion rates are now much lower than they used to be, 
Uh, they used to be maybe up to 6 7% of the time you might have to convert, but we're much smarter now. We're using imaging much more wisely, and we're not uh, having to convert as much. I mean, it's probably in the 1% to 2% range. And, but to have anesthesia in the room, um, managing the anesthetic so that the interventionalists can work on getting the valve in, I think, is, is of tremendous value. Um, I mean, the other, the other point is exactly, I agree completely with what you say, the one study that showed uh, mortality benefit to TEE was the uh, Brazilian registry, the early right. experience out experience. of Brazil. Right, yeah, it's experience. And there. this was a very, these were all relatively low-volume sites, um, and they actually showed that uh, there was a hazard ratio of like 0.56 uh, when you use TEE. As we get more experience, this is a much more mature field than when that paper first came out. And I don't disagree that there are certain patients who we have identified that are higher risk for general anesthesia. And I will never argue to use an unsafe anesthetic route um, in patients, for instance, who are elderly. And this is from the Gary Registry just came out showing that it's females, uh, f you know, uh, older patients, you know, frail, and COPD, which has been shown by multiple other studies, would actually be safer if you, if you, if, if you do kind And that's switch. a good point, the risks of anesthesia, right? That's, sure. there, there are risks to anesthesia. It's not just the, the risks of, of the tavern. So, so why hasn't awake TEE taken off? Um, <clears throat> at least in our center, and I, I don't disagree necessarily with this, um, it's felt to be a, an aspiration risk. So there's a really large tube that's down in the, you know, in the esophagus and flat. sometimes in the stomach. They're completely flat and they're somewhat sedated. Um, and so consequently, the But they're NPO. They're, I mean, the situation is no different than when they're getting a TEE. No, TEE, we lay them on their left lateral decubitus. Fair enough. So then enough. Uh, laying them flat is, is, is more of an aspiration risk. And um, in addition, the, two, the probes are relatively large, um, and the discomfort for those with uh, having the tube in for any length of time in an awake patient is, is not something, for instance, that I would want to do to myself. And also, you wouldn't want them coughing just as mm -hmm. you're deploying the valve, right? You, you know, they have the TE probe down, it's, it's causing irritation, and they do a big cough right as you're deploying the valve. Exactly. But I want to ask Isaac a question, all right? So the, the issue to me is not, it's not as much safety and preventing complications, because I think we understand that. I think the one issue is coronary obstruction. I think you can manage, you know, rupture risk, LVOT. But this issue of, uh, that Torsten raised, optimizing outcomes. So... We, we've seen data, bicuspids are a really variable, a risk of rupture, but, not, but also PVL, right? And that's not the rupture risk, the PVL. So would you, as a surgeon, you see all these bicuspids and unicuspids and all these other an anomalies that, uh, that we, we don't necessarily, didn't understand before, now we see CTs and we're putting TAVRs in. Should a bicuspid be done awake? So I, I think there are two points. So to answer the first For point, PBL reasons, so yeah. I, I think in general, no, because I think there's a lot of variability and we don't have enough reproducibility with the procedure to understand what we're doing. And I think what we need will be some anatomic and procedural guidelines with outcomes to be able to make those kind of decisions uh, to understand which anatomies will work, which won't. Um, and even then, it's going to be a little bit more of a, a, a question mark, I think, because uh, the tissue qualities are a little bit more variable. But I think the second point that you guys made is very important, and, and that's that uh, you're trying to optimize outcomes. And, and what I think you have to get to is that zero PVL range, right? You know, with surgery, we get a, a, a mild PVL of 5% or less or 6% or less and, and no moderate. So we're really looking at a, a very high, and it was 3.9 in 
one of the last registries, right? So we're talking about um, we're talking about PBL that's virtually non-existent. So if you truly believe as a community that mild is not an issue, then yeah, we can do awake. But I think if you're truly trying to get to zero PBL and get outcomes that are what we see long-term going to be as good as surgery, then I think you have to try to strive to get to zero PVL. And we leave a lot of PVL because we're awake. And I'll say that 100% that we do these bogus nonsense angiograms and say, oh, there's no PVL or there's mild PVL. But that's, uh, uh, again, hocus pocus. Right. But that, that assumes that we can optimize the result with PE, that there's an intervention that we're going to do because we see it on TE that we're going to do an intervention that's going to improve outcomes. And I think that's, I don't know, I'm not arguing against or for it, but I'm just saying, well, are we, do well, we have an intervention is, is that will improve? Is there data that shows that you well, have, we have better PBL? We have post-dilatation. So, I mean, we have two studies out there that actually show, I mean, multiple studies, to tell you the truth, but the two that I'm going to quote uh, that show contra sedation is associated with greater PBL. And one is from the France 2 registry. I mean, you just, you can't believe that, you know, that, that the France 2 registry would show that. But yes, indeed, local anesthesia versus general anesthesia. And in their conclusions, they assumed it was because of the imaging. They, and they uh, count for volume differences across sites and different things. Yeah, and they, well, it's, it's it, it was, it, you know, this is relatively large volume sites mm -hmm. in, in France, mm -hmm. uh, showed that PVL was greater with local anesthesia. And then the other was uh, the one coming out of Emory. So um, believe it or not, even though the, they, the conclusion said that the outcomes between conscious Becky's patient, doing air quotes here with the word conclusion, that you guys can't see the air quotes. Conclusion so, uh, was that the, there was no uh, outcomes difference between the two groups. In truth, when you read the manuscript closely, there were a significantly greater number of post percent uh, of patients who received a post-dilatation and a significant uh, number of patients who had to have a second valve. And we know that second valves are, are associated with poorer outcomes. So um, the bottom line is, is when I read that paper, I also assume uh, or come to the conclusion that conscious sedation is associated with more PVL because they had to actually intervene on that PVL um, in, in order to reduce it. However, however, Becky, I think the technology is improving, and there's there's no there's no question that some of these studies always all obviously are based on. On results and data from 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 valve systems that may not have been quite the same as our modern uh, valve system, and we all experience that if 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 the annulus anatomy is favorable, that with the newer valve systems and the skirts that we have around them, we we can have very low PVL rates, you independent could have, you could almost unfavorable anatomy. So we've had some severe calcium and other things. But my point would be that if I have a very unfavorable anatomy and there's really bad LVOT calcium and I'm weighing the risk of rupture, I'm going to be willing to push the limits and reduce PVL with post-dilation more if I see what I'm doing with the TE, whereas I'm yeah. a little bit Agreed. hesitant Agreed. Yeah. and I'm just going to eat yeah. up the PVL and let the patient live with the PVL if I can't see. So um, then you're saying you're going to balance the risk of anesthesia, and that's the argument we've all said, right? A 90-year-old with COPD... The risk of anesthesia is not trivial, right? Right, right. And, and maybe this makes more sense. Surprisingly, even though the lower-risk population is much more well-suited to get in and out of the hospital quicker, maybe they're the ones that benefit more from being asleep. Right, and I think, that, uh, and, and I think it's just balancing it. And, you know, I think the majority of cases can be done awake, but I think the argument that everything should be done awake or everything should be done asleep is what we have to get away from, right? It, it, it's, it's the patient anatomy, it's the center experience, uh, and it's the patient risk profile. 
that you're you're going to have to balance. And I think early low volume centers benefit from additional imaging, right? There's no there's no doubt about it in my mind, right? If they if they haven't done enough and the operator has done 20 cases and hasn't seen an annual rupture, he doesn't know when to stop inflating. I mean, that's the reality. And having someone on echo, but the problem is, how do the echo people in the last two minutes, right, or one minute, whatever we have left, how do echo, I mean, if the echo person, I've seen, I've gone to seen cases, right? The TE probes down, people are deploying the valve and no one's looking at the TE, right? So if you're going to do anesthesia, at least the argument is we're going to do anesthesia and, and put the TE probe down, you got to use the data. If you're not looking at it, what's the point? And, and a lot of the a lot of the people don't. How did the echo people get the experience yeah. to I make mean, it make it valuable? Right. You, you bring up a valid point and a, and a point about you know what is an interventional echocardiographer, which is something you had asked me before, um, and and how are we going to standardize the training of 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 these people? There's a different skill set of the imager with that's in the procedures. And so it's not just a regular, my belief is not just a, a regular level three um, uh, imager anymore. This is now a, a, a different subspecialty, a different skill set, working as quickly and rapidly as an interventionalist has to work um, uh, under under extreme Traumatic stress. And conditions. So, yeah, and so it's... <laughs> And so it's, uh, and also trying to voice your opinion amongst all the interventions yep. and surgeons in the room. So, I mean, you, I, you never have a problem voicing your opinion. <laughs> Let me just make, let's make that clear to everyone uh, that's listening. So I think, uh, you know, it, it, it is a different subspecialty for us now. And it's one that I think, um, you know, this, this place is, as well as, as many other uh, sites have, have been, you know, instrumental in, in developing that field. And we need to train the interventional imager to add benefit to, to the procedures. All right, that's excellent. I think we're going to wrap it up. We have some cases, and we're going to go repeat this argument down in our <laughs> holding area. So uh, have a good day, everybody. Thanks. Thanks.